This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 42. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 42, beginning with verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Good morning, everyone. Just before uh, I share a time of prayer, I want to give you a couple of announcements. I know this is not the time for announcements, but I'm going to incorporate these things into my prayer, so I think it's, it's fitting. First of all, you heard in the scripture lesson that our God is not only the God of Israel, and he's not only our personal God, but he's the God who reigns over this whole world. And Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we are delighted and privileged as a church to send out missionaries and church planters all over the world uh, to spread that good news. And among those, uh, those wonderful people that we have supported over the years has been uh, Scott and Elizabeth Yar. And as many of you know, Elizabeth lost her husband, Scott, in February. Scott grew up in this church. His parents were faithful servants here, and Scott got the missionary bug and uh, was sent out and served so faithfully. And so we have decided uh, at the end of this year to give a special Christmas love offering for Elizabeth uh, and her board, uh, uh, um, Joy Media Ministries, that, that she served under, has told us that 100% of what we give will be passed on to her as she transitions into a new life. And uh, meanwhile, she's gonna be an ambassador for the organization, and uh, so she'll be doing some meaningful missionary work in her own right, but uh, we wanna really uh, just send our love. And so as we supported Abundant Mercy at uh, Thanksgiving, we wanna give this uh, special offering to uh, Elizabeth uh, for Christmas. And we wanna encourage you to prayerfully think about that and that opportunity. 
Having said that, we also want you to be aware and to know that at this time of the year, and for many of you who haven't been with us for, for long, we always have a little bit of uh, angst as the end of the year comes that uh, we're not able to fulfill all of our obligations and there is some nervousness and uh, always my experience is that God comes through and we have a wonderful uh, wonderful financial uh, giving toward the end of the year and uh, and but we always have that natural concern and fear that we're not going to be able to do everything we had planned to do and uh, so, having said that about Elizabeth, we also want you to know that the priority of the church should come first. Many of you have been giving faithfully to the meals ministry. You have been giving faithfully to uh, give and go, all of the other things that we support and, uh, and we are so thankful. But don't forget the needs of the church and uh, prayerfully consider as you give. And uh, so now, having said that, we can draw attention on our great God who can make these things happen. Shall we pray? Oh, Father, we are so privileged to be in your presence this morning. We are so comforted by the fact that you are not only the God of the Old Testament saints during the time of Isaiah, and you're not only the God who is our personal God, but you deserve the right to reign. And you have sent your son as our redeemer, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the prince of peace, who has given peace to our hearts, but also longs to give peace to this world. We have been reminded in this last week of the violent and cruel world in which we live. And so near to us as the terrible violence in Oxford reminds us that uh, there is evil in this world. Our hearts go out to those families who have been impacted. We pray your Holy Spirit to give them comfort and encouragement and support. Lord, we've been reminded in our scripture that you have intended your gospel to go around the world. We thank you again for Elizabeth and, their, and Scott and their long, long years of service. We, we do ask and pray as you uh, touch the hearts of God's people here in this place that uh, we would give with generosity and love and at the same time remember the ongoing needs of our church we look back over many many years you have been so faithful and you have uh, done things far and above what we could ask or think and in, a, in one sense how dare we even be concerned of, of how we're going to end the year on the other hand we're, we have a, a, a natural human tendency to be concerned so Lord calm our fears, and again, simply allow your people to give with generous hearts because we have all been touched by your goodness and grace. Lord, we lift up those who are hurting today as we have heard of the passing of Phyllis Tagey a few days ago, a wonderful woman in our church for many years. We just pray your, your hand of healing and, uh, and grace and comfort would be upon her extended family. And we lift up uh, Robin Miles as she remembers her parents uh, this coming Saturday in this place. And we again thank you that all who are going through troubled times and difficulty can find encouragement and, and support and peace from you. 
Now, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you may have to, to say to us individually. Lord, may my words not merely be mine, but may they come from you as well. And may your Holy Spirit be strong in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's think back long ago to that time when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, a poor, young, innocent, young woman who had no idea what was about to be said to her. She heard the angel describe her son. Her son, she wasn't even married. But she was told, uh, you are going to have a child. It's going to be a virgin birth. Your child will be great. Your, your child will sit on the throne of David. He will establish an everlasting kingdom. Your son will be called the Son of the Most High. And all of these things, as Mary listened to them, sounded vaguely familiar, for she had grown up in a Jewish home. She knew what the scripture said about the coming Messiah. So this information was not totally new to her. She'd heard about them her whole life. And Mary would very easily connect what she had heard from Gabriel to the prophecy of Isaiah long ago. She knew Isaiah's message that had been delivered multiple times to some of the stubborn kings of Judah, the southern tribes of Israel. She knew that a child was promised. She knew from Isaiah chapter 7 that this child would be born of a virgin. She knew, as we learned last week from Isaiah 9, that her, the child would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, uh, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, and that that child would sit on David's throne with an everlasting kingdom. She knew from Isaiah 11 that this child would bring judgment to the world, not only to the Jews, not only to individual people, but to the whole world, not merely localized. Mary also knew what Isaiah said in the second part of his book. From Isaiah chapter 40 onward, where the whole mood in the book begins to change where judgment and fear and condemnation turns into joy and grace and peace and forgiveness. She knew beginning in chapter 40 of Isaiah, those prophecies that talked about this child who is now grown up, the servant of the Lord, four passages in Isaiah that talk about the servant, the servant of the Lord. You know the most famous passage. That is one of those passages. It's in Isaiah 53, where we hear about the suffering servant dying in agony and shame, bearing our sins upon himself, bruised for our transgressions, despised and rejected. Even Isaiah himself said, this is a strange story. I'm surprised that this Messiah, this, this chosen one, is in fact going to die and be rejected and come to a horrible end on a cross. And he says, who has believed our report? 
Well, the New Testament saints believed it, and they connected the dots and realized this was the way that God was going to bring salvation to this planet. So this morning we're looking at one of those, another one of those servant songs. It's in Isaiah 42, and you just heard it read. It describes a little bit more detail about what God says about his servant. The opening verses is a place where God is talking about that servant, giving us some new information. He says, I have chosen and appointed him and him alone to be the Savior and the Redeemer. I've put my spirit upon him in a way that you and I could never understand. And he is going to bring forth judgment upon the nations. Oh, the people listening to this uh, in the Old Testament context would have thought this was just about them. But Isaiah makes it very clear, no, this is a worldwide thing. This is a global experience. And so as the people listen to this, these opening verses, they're looking forward to someone who would fill these characteristics. Fast forward to the time of Jesus. When he is standing in the synagogue at Nazareth, and he's asked to read the scriptures, and lo and behold, a scroll of Isaiah is given over to him, and he reads a passage which is similar to the one that we've just read, except this one is in the first person. It's in Isaiah 61, what he says, parallel to what we've just read, that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound and to proclaim the year of the Lord. And you remember the end of the story. He rolled up the scroll, turned it back to the leader of the synagogue, and made the startling statement, today this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing because I'm the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke. I am the one who has been anointed with the Spirit of God. I am the one who is now gonna go out with the good news and I will bring all of these blessings to those who hear. But the next couple of verses give us quite a disclaimer and a qualifier that this Messiah, this Son of God, doesn't come with a loud voice. His veins don't pop out on the side of his face. He doesn't shake his fist. He doesn't even bruise a reed or snuff out a faint candle. He comes gently. He comes quietly. He comes humbly and he comes to those who have open and receptive hearts uh, that's not the kind of leader that the jews were looking for that's certainly not the kind of leader that they were looking for when jesus finally arose it's one of the reasons they rejected him not what they were looking for but jesus when he arrived 
One of the things he said was, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My burden is light. I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest to your souls. He will say on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be filled. Our Savior, our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, delights to come to humble hearts who are ready to receive him and welcome him. He never forces himself on us. Oh, God is sovereign, and of course, he's the one that opens our eyes and our ears. He's the one that gives us an appetite for spiritual truth in the first place. But when Jesus comes, he comes quietly and peacefully. He is, after all, the Prince of in the next few verses, Isaiah turns and turns the tables, and now, now God is speaking to the servant, not just about him. God says, I, I am the Lord. I created heavens and earth. I give breath to everything on the earth. I have called you into righteousness, he says to a servant, and I will protect you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. One of the most beautiful lines in the book of Isaiah. Jesus Christ is the one who makes the new covenant with God possible. And he was given to us as the covenant maker. And as such, all who come to him can appropriate that covenant for themselves. That's why later on in our service, when we gather around the Lord's table, we remember the end of the story, not just the child being born, but the child growing up and living and dying and rising again. And when he gathered in the upper room with his disciples, one of the things he said was, this is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus Christ is the one who was given as a covenant for the people, and the people is not just the people of the Old Testament, but for you and for me as well. And notice as well in those verses that he is a light for the nations. Again, it has global consequences. We are incredibly selfish if we just leave this good news to ourselves. If we just say, oh, it's nice to know Jesus, it's nice to know I'm going to heaven, but I'm gonna keep that to myself. I don't wanna, I don't wanna bring embarrassment to myself. I don't wanna lose my friends. So I'll just be a, a sort of a silent believer. And God would say to us, no, no, you take this message to anyone who will hear it. And in the closing verses, God begins to speak to the people, not just the Jews, not just the Old Testament saints, but to all of the people. Uh, that word you in verse 9 is in the plural. He's not talking to the, to the servant anymore. Now he's talking to you and to me. And he says, let's go back to square one. Because I'm sure you're wondering, how do we know that these things are really going to take place? Isaiah makes these prophecies 600, 700 years before the time of Jesus. And then we say that they are fulfilled in, in Jesus, the Messiah. How do we know we, he can 
fulfill his promises? How do we know he's trustworthy? And to that, God says, well, let's just go back to the beginning. Go back to the Ten Commandments where I said, I am the Lord. I don't want you worshiping anyone else. In fact, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. And as most of you know, when you see the word Lord all in, capital, all in capitals, that is his name. That is the name by which he was known to Moses. And he said, let's remember that I am a covenant relationship with my people. I don't share my glory with anyone else. I don't want you worshiping idols. I don't want you, I want you to stay on track and keep your eyes focused upon me. And that's why, like it or not, as a church, we have no other option but to say there is no salvation in anyone else. There is only one Savior, one Redeemer, one person who can wash away your sins, and we proclaim his name. And then God says, now that I have set the record straight about who I am and who my son is, just look at how I have operated in the past. Everything else that I have said through the prophets has come true. Go all the way back to the beginning and listen to my promises and you'll see that I have always been faithful. I have always done what I said I was gonna do. And when I say that my servant is in fact going to be the savior of the world, that this child who is born of a virgin will in fact be the Prince of Peace. He will be the Son of the Most High. And when I say in Isaiah 53 that he is going to die a cruel death and the sins of the world are gonna be placed on him, and when I say in these passages that we're looking at this morning that all of these things are indeed going to be fulfilled, you can rest assured I'm fully capable of making them happen. And he gives that wonderful consolation in verse 9. I said it, I promised it, I always keep my promises, and so you can count on it. Now here are you and me, 2,000 years after the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Many, many more centuries beyond the time of Isaiah, we're looking back on all of these promises. And we're still holding to them, we're still clinging to them. And we as believers in Jesus Christ affirm, yes, he is the Savior, he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, he is the Prince of Peace. He's given peace to our hearts and given us peace between us and a God whom we have offended by our sinfulness. And now we are at peace with God. And we have a relationship with him all because Jesus is our savior and our redeemer. Please folks, at this time of the year when we celebrate the savior's birth, and it is a wonderful celebration, it was great to hear the children singing those familiar songs and carols that remind us of that simple story. It is wonderful to concentrate on the miracle of the virgin birth and to think about the baby Jesus in that manger. But folks, don't leave it there. 
Don't leave the story there. Don't leave Jesus in the manger. Remember the rest of the story. Remember the story that Isaiah tells us. He is going to be the savior of the world. Nations will come to him. People from every tribe and tongue and nation and people one day will gather around the throne praising the name of Jesus in languages that you and I have never heard. We could never understand what was going on. And all of that is in ultimate fulfillment of the promise of God who never, never changes and always fulfills what he says he will do. And how this happens for you and me, it's the same old reminder. We come one at a time. God is looking for humble hearts who will receive this Savior. He doesn't force himself on. We just read the passage. He doesn't even bend a twig. He doesn't blow out a, a faint candle. He just says, here I am. I'm the Savior. I died for your sins. I want you to accept and embrace and receive me. And you will be forgiven. And you will have eternal life. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're remembering that. And as we shared with the folks at 9 o'clock in the early service, and we share it again today, that if you're not a believer, if you don't know Jesus as your own, why would you partake of these elements? Because they are for us a vivid reminder of a broken body and spilt blood, like Isaiah 53 talks about, by which we have forgiveness of sins. But for those of us who know the Savior, this is the end of the story. It's really not the end. It's the end of the redemptive story. The story is yet to be ultimately fulfilled, for we believe this Jesus is coming again. We often say in the communion service, we do this until he comes again. And we look forward to that day when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will have his rightful place in this world. Shall we pray? Father, we are amazed and astonished at your grace and goodness. You knew all along that we would need such a savior. The sin of Adam and Eve in the garden was not a surprise to you. And you are not surprised nor shocked at the evil and the wickedness that has trickled down to our own generation. Here we are, many, many centuries after the fact, still in the grips of darkness and sin and evil. We see it all around us. But by your grace and your goodness, you've given us eternal life. You've made us your children. You've washed away our sins and all of that made possible because you sent this child into the world. You sent your son to be our savior, to be the covenant maker. You sent the redeemer to be our redeemer. And we celebrate all that he means to us today. In Jesus name, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.